Good evening, everyone. My name is Sean. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Grace Covenant. I guess I should say Chantilly, since we have so much of the house in the building. Um, it is my privilege to be able to speak to you um, a sermon or a word from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Um, I'm calling this sermon, Draw Near, Satisfying Our Deepest Desires. Um, as a custom in our house, um, will you please rise for the reading of the word? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I ask now that you will use me as a tool to communicate your message Help us to hear well, to be made more into the image of Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. James 4 is an interesting um, passage because James, who was the head of the church in Jerusalem, is writing to those who have been dispersed. And so he's sending out this letter to help correct some behaviors, I would assume, that he's heard of. Um, maybe, I don't know exactly what was going on, but clearly there was something that was wrong that was going on. But my goal this evening is for us, as we look at these 10 verses, is really to mine out what I believe is the greatest promise that God could make to us. And it's found in the first half of verse 8, which says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Psalms 42.1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. I've read this. It's one of my favorite verses in the Psalms, and it's one that challenges me because I'm, I'm wondering, man, is there something in me that is different from the psalmist? Because I don't know if I could compare my hunger to God as a deer goes panting after water because water is a necessity to life. And I would imagine if they're panting, they're thirsty that they would go after it in such a way or they would see it with a such zeal that they would run up and, and drink from the pond that they find it or the creek that they would find the water in. And so as I was kind of pondering that thought, one thing came to mind, uh, an analogy, if you will, um, how my body is. Because I think there is something um, that happens to us as believers, because James is writing to believers as we think about these first four verses here in, in chapter 4. 
He's writing to Christians who have a relationship with God, but something is off. And now my analogy is about dehydration. When, when, when I was um, going through a season of just getting sick on a continual basis, this is after I came out of the hospital, for those who, who are aware, um, for about 18 months, once a month for about a week, I would, my body would just kind of shut down and I wouldn't be able to drink or eat anything without it coming back up. And one of the things that I noticed is that through the course of me being sick during a particular set of days, the days where I ended up back in the hospital, where I would have to go to ICU, there would be symptoms or there would be issues like low blood pressure that came about because of dehydration. So I... I, I, I I use that as an analogy because what I also discovered was on the weeks that I got sick and didn't end up in the hospital, I was drinking the appropriate amount of water that didn't allow me to kind of plummet to the point where I needed to be back in the emergency room. Now, the thing is about dehydration and what I found out is that functionally, we can be dehydrated and kind of operate in regular life. And it's when it gets severe that we end up in the hospital. So I was trying to do some homework, and I wanted to impress um, Bishop Brett, but I don't think I will because I couldn't find a, the rich scientific language to impress this man. So I just like to keep it simple. Dehydration. Dehydration. A condition that occurs when the body loses too much water and other fluids that it needs to work normally. Though dehydration can lead to severe complications, such as seizures, swelling of the brain, kidney failure, shock, coma, and even death, the typical signs and symptoms of dehydration are a headache, dizziness or lightheadedness, sleepiness, dark or dark yellow or amber colored urine, decreased skin elasticity, dry mouth, and low blood pressure. These are things when you think about a headache or a dizziness or sleepiness that you can just continue on in life. And you don't realize that these, these ailments that you are experiencing are also something of a greater issue than what meets the eye. What James is laying out here in the first four verses in, in chapter four, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He explains it is not, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Are you experiencing something that is fighting or going wrong on the inside of you? Do you desire and do not have? You covet and cannot obtain. You do not have because you do not ask. Is your life with God marked with prayerlessness? You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. To me, these are signs of a dehydrated soul. And too often we are operating in this dehydrated place and we're not recognizing what's going on until something severe, until our life ends up in a ditch and we recognize, man, I need God. He's not here. I can't find his voice. 
So I have to call out to a pastor. I have to call out to a minister. I have to call out to my friend who seems to have a, 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 a direct line to the king's throne because I am not able to communicate with him. So James, in using this stark language, is trying to wake these people up and let them know that you've allowed something else to creep in that is contributing to your dehydration and is sustaining your dehydration. As he kind of further explains, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Worldliness is the prescription to the issue that they're having. Worldliness is helping to cause the dehydration of their souls. It's found in the quarrels and the fights that they have going on. It's found in the internal disruption that's going on with the war within them over their passions whether individually or collectively as a group. Worldliness, friendship to the world, giving our loyalty to a system that doesn't want to include God. That's essentially what worldliness is. I think often we, we look at ways to try to clarify what worldliness is, and we, we think about the, the fruit of what worldly looks worldliness is. Maybe it's secular TV or secular music or things like that. But I think it's a lot more kind of at the root level where you don't see it up front. Worldliness is a way in which you are enticed, enticed into satisfying these desires through a system that does not include God. It's not always sin. Certainly, James is considering sin if you look at the totality of this passage, but, but it's not always sin on its face. It's when we make a good thing into an ultimate thing that it has become something that hurts us instead of helps us. I have one of my sons, both of my sons, they, they play college football. And, but one of my sons in particular, Chris, he was, he was having some issues while he was at school in Iowa. He, he went from Iowa Central, um, which was in Fort Dodge, Iowa. I don't know where that is, so I would say the middle of nowhere, but that's the name of the city. He was there, and he was faced with a coach that, that really, I don't understand it <laughs> to this day. He really did not like my son, and he was mentally trying to break him down. Track had become kind of a refuge for Chris in some regards. It was a way that he was able to get away. It was a way for him to exercise. He had thrived in it while he was in high school, and he was able to kind of perform well while in high school. He was a part of the COVID year, so that kind of put a tamper on things in terms of his season, his junior year, and things of that nature. But, but he was really, really good. He made it to states three, three straight years, I believe. But he learned to do track independent of God. And there was a worldliness that had started to creep in on him and that he wasn't aware of. 
and to try to satisfy his passion and desires to, to compete and to win, he tried to work harder, to put in more work to sacrifice over here so he could put more time here so he could obtain his goal. He was doing it independent of God. There's a way in which we can try to satisfy our soul's desires independent of God. I recognize this in my own body. My second point is do not or don't obey your thirst. When I would get thirsty, I like soda, man. I know it's not the healthiest thing. I like soda. Um, I went to school in the South. I love iced tea, sweet tea. I expect sweet tea to be on the menu. It's confusing when they say, hey, we don't have, they want to bring me some sugar packets. Like, what kind of Mickey Mouse joint is this? I'm supposed to have sweet tea. Similar to my son trying to find something independent of God, I would try to find health independent of water. I would try to satisfy this thirst that I had. So one of the things that had to take place was for me to have my mind renewed. Because I was tired of going to the hospital. I mean, you, you just, I, this all stems in July 2020, July 18th, a horrible day, but a great day in that I was stabbed, uh, but it was for the gospel so I can, I can share in the sufferings of Christ. I can proclaim that before you. But it led to me being in the hospital for like 30 straight days and then to come out two weeks later and end back up in there and then for 18 straight months get sick every month and from time to time end up in a hospital. I needed to figure out how do I stay out of that place. My mind had to be renewed. I had to redefine some things. When we think about our relationship with God, we need to pay attention to the language that James is using and allow this metaphor to help shape the way in which we think about our relationship. James says, you adulterous people. He talks about, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. In framing our relationship like a marriage, in framing the behavior of those who would find themselves kind of this spiritual dehydration, he is saying that you have been committing adultery. We have been committing adultery against God because we have given in to a system that wants to leave him independent of it. Friendship with the world, becoming an enemy of God. Do you take seriously when you sin against the God that you serve, that you say that you love? Because he certainly does. He yearns for a relationship with us. This jealousy that's pointed out here is not a sinful jealousy. It's not one where he's, he envies some skill set or talent that you have and he lusts to have it for himself. It's like a husband who cares for his wife. If I ever did something sideways to my wife with another woman, I'm sure she would be furious. I would expect nothing less. 
no matter how minor I may think it is. If I was in an emotional affair with someone, just kind of sharing intimate thoughts and secrets about what's going on with me and, and kind of keeping her out of that space of my life, I'm sure she would be highly offended. I certainly would if she was doing that to me. How much more does our God, who yearns for the spirit that he has placed inside you, how much more will he yearn for you and be jealous of you if you are giving yourself to the world? Now, I, I, I just want to reiterate this idea that worldliness is not simply just the graphic sins that we can all identify. This is something that Pastor Duke, for those in Chantilly, he's been talking about, and, and, and he and I have had conversations um, outside of just um, me hearing him preach about it, but I feel it the same way. Sometimes, even as a minister of the gospel, I can go into this place like I'm almost like I'm checking out, I, I, I'm clocking out from work. And I try to engage with basketball or I'll engage with watching the news or something like that. Like, <coughs> Sorry about that. I'll try to engage in these spaces independent of God. It's just, I'm not doing anything wrong, I, I wouldn't say, but I'm not inviting God into that space. Similar to like what I described with my son is not that he was doing anything wrong running track. He's just not inviting God into that space. I think that is, as Paul talks about in Galatians 5, a part of the war of the flesh versus the spirit. And how your flesh doesn't desire to be pleasing to the spirit at all. So this attraction to the world, this attraction to boxing God out of the things that we may find a passion of our own, is something that we have a bent towards. It's a way in which we kind of live out the first Adam that is in us. So as we kind of redefine, reframe our relationship with God as we look at this metaphor of a marriage and we recognize that not, it's not just that I've broken some rules, but I am offending the lover of my soul. James would say later in, in verses um, 9 and 10, or even in, in, in the second half of 8, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Do we immediately just jump over to, well, you know, there's grace for that. I've noticed, being married for almost 15 years now, that if I just give lip service to my wife when there's an issue, the words just don't matter, man. Like actions is what counts and there are repercussions that are there that I have to deal with because I just gave her lip service. And one of the worst repercussions is when I walk in and I can see that she's not happy. She hasn't said anything. I can, it's, I don't know. it's just the way she said hello. I don't know. There is something that happens. 
Well, I have to, what did I do? What, what did I miss? What did I forget? I apologize. Please forgive me. <laughs> babe, babe, I'm sorry. Can we talk about it, please? Because I want to restore the fellowship. But those times where I don't think what she's saying is really that valid. Oh, man, I just did this. It ain't that bad. I find that that offends her. Have you thought about the way God responds to the way that you so-called repent? Turn away from your sins? Is there weeping and mourning involved? Or it doesn't take all of that for us. We're not under the same covenant that James was, was under. I say it like that because our culture breathes, breathes this idea into us that God doesn't want us to be in spaces like this where we are ashamed of our behavior. But that is not true. Sin is wicked to God. Thus, it should be wicked to us. He says we are enemies if we are friends with the world. So I wouldn't want to touch that with the 10-foot pole if I care about my fellowship with him. I purposely do not put myself in position, myself in position, where my wife would even consider that I was cheating on her. I, I, I literally am afraid of that. Like I had a dream <laughs> that she was going to leave me or something like that. And I woke up and I'm like, babe, you ain't going nowhere. I woke up. <laughs> I value my relationship with my wife <laughs> to that level. Of the strength of a dream, I had to reinforce things. <laughs> It's a wicked, horrible mirror, nightmare, man. So we, I put up guardrails because I don't want that offense to be there. And so the thing that I have to do is, instead of obeying my thirst, drinking Sprite, drinking sodas, if I want to be hydrated, I have to drink living water or life water. And this is the point of this sermon. This beautiful promise in verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. As wicked as our behavior may be in God's sight. And certainly what James is pointing out is, is some wicked things. James also says, but he gives more Grace. There is more grace. There is a way in which we can draw near to God. That he adds his grace to it and restores fellowship. He restores the vitality that we need in our relationship with him. He tells us in other places, like in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where we can boldly become, come before the throne of grace in times of need of mercy and of grace. He's welcome, welcoming us into a closer dynamic with himself. 
Because God has purpose and plans for all of our lives that we would be excited to live out. But in our immaturity, we don't always know exactly where he's taken us, so we decide to try to figure out our own path. Or the direction he's taken us in, it doesn't seem right, and, and this is what I really want. I, I mentioned my son earlier in his endeavors with track and his time while he was out in Iowa. And the reason why I brought it up is because I wanted to get to this part. In January of 20. 22. He calls me. There is an issue that's going on. Um, he needs to make a decision. And as a father, I want to tell him exactly what he needs to do. But I hear the Holy Spirit whisper to me, no, he needs to trust me and make a decision himself. So that's what I tell him. Hey, son, you need to trust. You hear from God. You need to trust what he tells you to do. He does it. Everything seems to go left, absolutely left. Ultimately, he's kicked off the team because he's trying to work out, and it's, it's, it's just a mess. It wasn't bad behavior. It was actually working out outside of when practice was supposed to be going on. Not that he skipped practice. <laughs> he just was doing additional work. I know it sounds crazy, but I, got, I don't have enough time to fully explain. So he's put his trust in God, and things seem to be going left. And he doesn't, the thing that I found to be most fascinating is, is that as he made a shift, as he asked God, he felt led by God a certain direction, and he started to go that way, because he was kicked off of the team, he began to invite God into his space when he was training. My son ran hurdles, and hurdles is a very technical um, event. And there's a certain way you're supposed to go over the hurdle. You count the amount of steps you need to get off the, the um, three steps in between the hurdle and a lot more to it. But it's a very technical race. And he began to invite God into that space, not just asking God, help me win this race. But God, can you help me to understand what are, what are, some, what are some things that I can be doing? Can, can you help me in this area? It became a conversation between Chris and, and, and his God. And, and, and they were doing something together. It wasn't independent that he would leave God on Sunday and Monday through Friday that he's working out, going over the hurdles and getting better because he spent God with, time with God on Sunday. No, it was because God was with him Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. When I'm talking about drawing near to God, I'm talking about we are drawing God. We are inviting God into the spaces of our lives that we've relied on the world to help bring satisfaction to our souls. And I'm saying draw near to God. It's not just just in, in, in those events, those things that aren't sins that separate us from God. But that we got to break free from prayerlessness. We got to spend time with him, family. Cutting the TV off. I know your soul, man, I love soda. I, I do, man. I, I like Dr. Pepper. They got this new one, it's strawberry and cream. Oh, man, it's good, man. 
Don't obey it, though. Don't obey your thirst, man. Your flesh, the world, is enticing you into something else. I don't like water necessarily. I love when my youngest, she says, can I get the orange water? Because we get the little meal things. To, when I'm like, no, you can't have no more sugary drinks. You need to drink water. Can I get the orange water? Because she still wants some flavor. And it's what we need. We need to be in our Bibles every single day. And we need to spend time with our Heavenly Father in prayer. We need to boldly come before the throne of grace. We see the result of these three great women's lives that they've been spending time with the Father. James closes this thing out, says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What the, what the world is offering, the position that it is trying to give you, it overpromises and always underdelivers. But if you will humble yourselves, if you will turn away from your sins, if you will cleanse your hands, old sinner, if you will purify your heart, old double-minded, there is an exaltation that is coming for us. It's not necessarily going to be in front of men, but the dignity the self-worth that often we are going after, that's undergirding why we want this, why we want that, where these passions are coming from. If we will humble ourselves, God will exalt us. And what if we become a community like that? What if we become a community that's not a religious body, but that are people who have drawn near to their God? What kind of transformation, what kind of changes will come about? What would that city on the hill look like? I believe it would be one that would be positioned to win the city. If we want to see the revival that we've been praying for, we got to repent. We got to draw near to God. If we want to win the city, we got to live as in a married relationship with our Heavenly Father, individually and collectively. We have to support one another. We have to sharpen one another. Because it doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. But when you have support, when you can text a brother and he calls you and say, man, what's going on? How can I help? When you can text your sister and she texts back scripture to you. It's nothing like knowing that you have that support and you are not in this thing by yourself. Amen. Drawing near to God will bring about satisfaction for your deepest desires. Because just as the psalmist said, as a deer panteth after water, so my soul is after you, Lord God. He truly is our deepest desire. But we didn't know it. Maybe we knew it intellectually. But did we know it in our hearts? So let's be transformed by the renewing of our mind, getting in our word, spending time in prayer, and drawing close to our God. Amen? If you don't mind, let's close our eyes, bow our heads. You know, these scriptures are really directed to those who know God. Some of you maybe don't know him as Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus. 
If that is you, I would like to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. So if that is you, please raise your hand, kind of indicate that you would like to receive, to enter into the kingdom of God this evening. Amen. For the rest of us, maybe some of these signs, passions are at war within you, you desire and do not have, you covet and cannot obtain, you do not have because you do not ask, you ask and do not receive. If these are the signs of the state of your soul, let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, you've said that there is grace available to us when we need mercy. And so I pray, Lord God, that you will forgive us of entertaining a relationship with the world. These symptoms, we notice that we have somehow separated ourselves from you through our own passions. Forgive us, cleanse us of that. Help us to be drawn back into a fellowship with you that includes studying your word spending time with you in prayer. Pray this in the name of Jesus.